Hey everyone, this is Josh from Life on Side B. This is our second to last episode before the mid-year break. For this episode, we are talking about, yep, sex and porn and everything in between. Becca is going to be talking with Joel Jones about this very question. How do we deal with it as men, as women, celibate, married? I told a friend that we were recording this today and I was like, I'm going to be talking with a married man about sex. And there was like <laughs> loud silence on the other end of the phone. And she finally said, mm-hmm. how are y'all going to do that? This is a topic we have had a lot of requests to get to. And even this is just an introductory to the many conversations around this topic. Well, obviously, there's always practical things that we can do that are beneficial and useful. But at the end of the day, with most of these things, it's not just about changing behavior. It starts with a heart issue. It starts with identifying what is it at my core of cores that isn't being satisfied that ultimately leads me to go down this road of momentary satisfaction. Also, thanks again to all of our patrons. You help us continue to expand our audience. And even during our mid-year break, there will still be content coming on the Patreon page. So stay tuned there as we continue throughout the year for more stuff there. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash lifeonsideb to become one today. So with that, let's head in. Welcome to Life on Side B. This is Becca. I'm hosting this week. And we are um, being joined today by our friend Joel talking about an interesting topic. This is something that we hear about quite frequently in uh, questions and emails that we get from people looking at... um, One of the topics that Christians love to yell and scream about sometimes, but not actually ever discuss, and that is sex, intimacy, Mm. sexuality, physical relationships. Um, The big question that people have is, if I'm called to celibacy, what do I do about my sex drive? What do I do if I screw it up? What if I don't know how to handle these things? What do I do? And those are not topics that we, one, really have quality answers to as the church. Um, And it's really a difficult topic to discuss in general. So we're going to do it for you. Um, You excited about that, Joel? You know, it's that weird combination of excitement and dread. It reminds me of going back back to the old uh, youth group days and, uh, you know, the idea of like guys and girls talking about sex together. That's just like that's blowing my mind right now. Like, you know, you always have to have everything separated. So this is going to be this might honestly be a first for me to to have this kind of a conversation with someone that's not also a boy. 
Yes, that was, I told a friend that we were recording this today and I was like, I'm going to be talking with a married man about sex. And there was this, like <laughs> loud silence on the other end of the phone. And she finally said, mm-hmm. how are y'all going to do that? Uh, you'll with, just have to listen. With words. <laughs> right. We're going to use words. Well, Joel, first of all, we're going to ask you the um, kind of introductory question that we ask all of our guests is um, please tell us a little bit about yourself. And then specifically, because this is Life on Side B, talk to us about um, how you identify in your everyday relationships regarding your sexuality. And give us just a little bit about how you have arrived at a place of um, reconciling your sexuality and your faith. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Well, goodness, that's kind of a, that's a loaded question. well, I'm. I guess the the my Twitter bio uh, summary would be um, I am currently a professional web page developer by uh, profession. Um, been doing that for a few years, but um, I actually have a uh, history of doing a lot of ministry. I got to meet Grant uh, Life on Side B Grant Hartley. Um, because he and I both worked for the exact same uh, Christian missions organization. And that's where I met him and got introduced to uh, Side B as a community, as well as the Life on Side B podcast and uh, a couple others as well. So that was, you know, small world uh, situation going on there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've been married for uh, about, not about, I need to be exact numbers. I've been married for exactly 13 years, 14 years this summer. Have three kids. Thank you. Have three kids right now, not planning on number four, but you never know what God might, you know, might make happen in these pandemic times. And uh, I've been a Jacksonville, Florida, more or less native. I'm technically a Navy brat. So I moved every two years, uh, you know, that, that's just what you do when you grow up in the Navy. Um, so I moved every two years, but I've been in Jacksonville since 1989. Um, and so I've, that's more or less my hometown, but I've lived sporadically around the Southeast. Um, so for, I guess my, you know, kind of my story and my, my, um, where I am now and reconciling my sexuality with my faith and everything like that. Yeah. I think, um, I guess I, I kind of knew something was, was like, huh, this isn't what I expected it to be, uh, around junior high, you know, so kind of the, having the puberty thing going on there. And, um, I, I got exposed to porn at a young age or, you know, at that time when I was about 13, And um, I just happened to notice that when I was looking at, you know, these magazines that my friend was providing, that I tended to only be really looking at the pictures of the guys. And I have had a relationship with Jesus, you know, as much as you can as a a child and um, junior higher and whatnot. So I knew that I, I was a believer. And so at the same time, I was like, well, I don't really associate my attractions with anything else. So I was just like, okay, well, that doesn't mean that I'm gay or anything. It just means, you know, I'm just happen to be looking at pictures of guys and didn't really think much about it. Um, it honestly wasn't until high school and college when porn became like a, 
a pretty intense addiction um, where I suddenly started getting a sense of, huh, I wonder if this says more about me. You know, does this, does my attraction, um, does my, um, does my orientation say something about me as a person? And I really, really struggled with that because I was, I was basically trying to be uber Christian. You know, I was the senior class chaplain. I was the president of the Bible club. When I was in college, I was involved in Christian ministry and, you know, always a leader. So I had this thing going on where I was very much a outward focused, you know, look at me, I'm, I'm Mr. Know-it-all Christian. And then at the same time was hiding this part of my life that was very true. And I was always terrified of getting caught. What if I get found out? What if, you know, something like that happens? And it led to some very dark places, struggling with depression and even attempted suicide and things like that, because I literally could not reconcile these two facets of my life. The one side where I knew that I had a relationship with Jesus and this other side where my actions and my desires and everything, I, I, I was a hot mess, basically. <laughs> um, but thankfully, it was actually through um, my college ministry, which I later went on to join a staff, where I really started to um, accept and learn about grace and learn about forgiveness and that God's love for me still stood regardless of my uh, actions, regardless of the things that I had done that I knew were against God's will, that he still loved me just the same. And so as I started to grow into that more and more, it's been a progressive journey. And I think that's kind of the thing for all of us, uh, regardless of your your attractions or orientations or anything like that. It's like, we're all on this progressive journey. right? And so we're constantly in process. And so it's encouraging to me to be able to look back and like, see if I look at myself today versus even last year, my desire is that I have a greater understanding of God's love for me and of my fellowship with him than it was previously. And so that's kind of where I am. It's it's a progressive uh, reconciliation and I'm just stubborn. And so apparently the only way that I'll learn is through like hitting, you know, banging my head against the wall and like making all the mistakes. So, you know, that's why I'm here is because I make all the mistakes so that y'all don't have to. That's right. That's kind of my life in a nutshell right there. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for sharing that. That, um, that idea of growing in grace um, and learning and understanding that I don't know that there's a better place and a better time to learn that than in college, because it really is yeah. one of the first times that you are faced with yourself and your own screw ups. And it's mm -hmm. just you. And, you know, most of the time, mommy and daddy aren't there to help you out with it. And you're probably away from your home church. And so you're missing that cover of accountability and, it's always fascinating yeah. to see how God uses college ministries to to kind of make or break us um, in his image in that time in our lives. Well, uh, and it's one of those things, too, where, yeah, that season of life, even if you don't go to college, 
but that season of life where, yeah, you're, you're getting out and away from your parents, because I think all of us kind of have a little bit of that, regardless of our relationship to our parents, but we bring things from our, from our parent, from our parents, from our family of origin and from our households. And those things kind of stick with us. And, you know, from my experience, a lot of times, uh, both personally and then just working with college students over the years, it's like a lot of times it's so easy to just ride on the coattails of your parents' right. faith. Yeah. And so, yeah, you get to this season of life and suddenly it's like, all right, now what do I do? And a lot of times it's a real testing. And so I have seen where being involved at a college ministry or just even in a community of faith, even if it's not specifically a, a college ministry, can be a real benefit to individuals because hopefully if it's a good, healthy community, Christ-centered community, then as you walk through these things and have these, you know, at times of confusion or times of clarity or whatever it may be that you've got other people that are around you encouraging and challenging you so that it's not about conforming to a inherent behavior, but about conforming to Christ, whatever that looks like in your situation. So yeah, I absolutely, that's why I, I actually went into college ministry just because I have, I've been directly affected by the good and the bad right. of that season of life. And so wanted to be able to be a resource for college students in that same season. That is a beautiful reason to run with a calling in your life. That be the person that you needed at that time in your life. It's kind of, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um, looking at that, you probably have a lot of opportunities to share with people. This next question that um, that we were looking at is, when you are finally having to look at yourself, whether it is a time that you have just come under conviction for mistakes, um, patterns of sin that you may be struggling to get out of, um, maybe someone has caught you or confronted you with something that's going on. What are some ways um, that you have dealt with it or that you have seen other people deal with those seasons of just continued failure in our lives and trying to be more like Christ? Yeah. When you don't see your actions lining up with your beliefs when they're related to sexuality, how do you how do you walk through those seasons? Yeah, well, and that's those seasons. That's such a big thing, too, because I, I grew up in a, a quote unquote Christian household. Both of my parents are believers. Um, so, you know, did the whole thing where was in in the church, you know, all throughout that season and then got very involved with it and uh, later on in life. And one of the things that I can recall from the, that season, that childhood season and going into high school as well, is the constant feeling of overwhelming, soul-crushing guilt Yes, when I would fall into habitual sin. Or I shouldn't say fall into as if I had my eyes closed. I knew what I was doing. Right. And so maybe a better way to say it would be when I would choose to continue to act out in habitual sin. In my case, you know, growing up, <clears throat> it was a lot of porn. It was a lot of masturbation, stuff like that. And so... It was, it was a daily, it was a daily thing. And so it would be the same cycle where I would wake up in the morning. I would know, I would know that later on that evening that I would go look at something online. 
And I would kind of go throughout the entire day, not looking forward to it, but almost having this like internal struggle of, oh, I know that I shouldn't. And I know that I ultimately don't want to. And at the same time, I do want it. And I know that even though I'm having the struggle, I know that I'm going to give in. And then afterwards, after I act out or whatever, then having that, I am disgusting. I am the worst. You know, what, what, how can I call myself a believer and, and things like that? And what made it more difficult was that, you know, I, I would try to go to scripture often and look for encouragement, look for comfort. And sometimes just in my lack of knowledge or lack of understanding, I would land on verses and read them not knowing or not understanding that they weren't really applying to me in the way that I thought they would. So I would read in First John, which is such a beautiful book written to people that claim to be followers of Christ, giving them encouragement about the assurance of their salvation. And yet I would read verses about like, no one who is in Christ continues in sin. And I would be like, well, uh-oh, I seem to be, I feel like I'm continuing in sin. I give into this particular sin on a daily basis and I call myself a believer. So does this scripture mean that I'm really not? And so my pattern would look like almost essentially begging God to forgive me, not feeling forgiven, not feeling cleansed. And so trying desperately to earn uh, salvation, earn forgiveness, even though I had prayed for salvation. In fact, I prayed for salvation so many times because I didn't feel, you know, yeah, I didn't feel saved. I didn't feel changed or anything like that. So I lived like that for a very long time, which only contributed to a lot of confusion. And, you know, like, Lord, if, if, if the gospel is good news, why doesn't it feel good? Why don't I feel, you know, why don't I feel freedom? Why don't I feel sufficiency, you know, in your power or anything like that? And it really wasn't until college. It wasn't until late college, honestly, that I started to realize that what I was lacking was faith in the gospel. Um, Yes, I had absolutely placed my faith in Jesus. I knew that he was who he said he was and that I believed uh, that he did die for my sins. But I think what I was having a problem with faith was believing the rest of everything in his word. So believing, for instance, you know, one of my one of my verses that I I memorize and recite back to myself often, first John one nine. You know, it says that as we confess our sins, you know, as we tell God that we're we're sorry for the things that we've done that were uh, in opposition to his will, that he promises to forgive us and to cleanse us, and that he does that because of his goodness and his justice and everything like that. And so if I choose to wallow and say, God, please forgive me. I don't feel like you've forgiven me. That what I'm ultimately doing is saying, you know what, God, I don't think that you're actually being truthful when you say things like that. When you say that you've taken away all my sin, yeah, I hear those words, but I don't really believe you. And so because I don't believe you, I'm going to act as though that's not the case. 
And so as I started to come to that realization, that had a dramatic effect on, okay, if I am confess, if I know that I have my relationship with Jesus, then I also need to have faith that Jesus has cleansed my sin. And so when I confess those sins, not to, not to restore my relationship, my relationship is, is held together by Christ, but my fellowship with him that I have to believe, I have to have that faith that Jesus has restored me to fellowship with him, that he has cleansed me. And therefore, I need to view myself not through the lens of feeling bad about what I've just done, but instead view myself through God's eyes towards me, which is in Jesus, which is that I'm pure and holy, regardless of what I've done, because the price has been paid for me. And so therefore, it was an identity shift. It was an identity change. I was no longer looking at all my failures and as though God was like a cosmic cop waiting to squash me. But instead, it was a, no, God's view of me is the same as that of Christ, that he loves me, you know, that he chose me, that he's given me all these blessings. And so it forced me to change the way I viewed myself, which inherently meant that it started to change the way that I dealt with sin or dealt with my own failures. So forgiving myself, viewing myself through God's lens was the first, was probably one of the most monumental, one of the biggest things that was a practical step, if that makes sense. That does. That is um, looking at those, they, they seem so subtle now, but I remember when I was in that stage of understanding those differences, how life altering it was to realize that difference between restoring fellowship and restoring relationship. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to start over every single time. Like I could get in a fight with my parents and they're still my parents. We just have to restore fellowship. And understanding that was life altering for me as far as dealing with shame and with guilt that I didn't have to go back to earn it every time. You don't have to readopt mm-hmm. God, you know, like that kind of understanding is I am his no matter what. We just need to reestablish fellowship. And really, yeah. really yeah. doing that and understanding that. Um, yeah, that idea of like that almost morbidly looking forward to your own failure, um, <laughs> like sitting in <laughs> seasons of like being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I know that for me, a lot of that goes back to really just some old school memorizing scripture. Um, yeah. There's a reason I've hidden my, your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Um, I learned that one so long ago. I have it memorized in King James, which, you know, it was probably one of the first things <laughs> that I memorized, but to know it and to be able to um, bring that back to mind that when I finally got to the point of realizing it made active decisions to get into a pattern of sin. I was going to have to make active decisions to get out of it. That that renewing your mind was the single most important part for me, that it was literally taking every thought captive and making it obedient and having that kind of thing that I could just pull up, even just fragments of scripture as I was thinking that, if I'm looking at, well, I know tonight when I get home that this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to look at because it has been a rough day and I need to find something to right. distract myself. 
that never worked. But if I could bring to mind some passage of, you know, God never puts us in a situation of being tempted beyond what we can bear, but he will always provide a way out of it so that we can stand up underneath whatever. And I couldn't tell you where the passage was. I couldn't probably tell you the whole verse, but it was enough that the Holy Spirit could bring mm-hmm. to mind and say, if I'm being tempted with this, I have a savior who's given me a way out of it. And when I began to actively look for the way out and to look for him, that's when those actively began to change. Yeah. Really being able to see that um, was the hard part because you can be in such a season of just defeat and deception of yourself um, that you can't see those ways out. But it really does come down to that. Are you going to believe yourself or are you going to believe Jesus who says, that he loves you and that he died for you and that his way is best. And so who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? Um, And for a long time, I just liked believing myself. Yeah. I love what you said just a second ago about uh, choosing who you're going to believe and even using the scripture, because I think that I think it's so easy for, it's easy for me. And I, I assume it is for others to get into this mindset of, all right, what are the practical steps? What is the step-by-step things that I need to do to defeat whatever it, this may be, this bad habit, this sin pattern, or anything like that? And it's like, well, obviously, there's always practical things that we can do that are beneficial and useful if it's dealing with with a porn addiction. Okay, well, sure, there are absolute practical steps that can be done. But at the end of the day, with most of these things, it's not just about changing behavior. It starts with a heart issue. It starts with identifying what is it at my core of cores that isn't being satisfied that ultimately leads me to go down this road of momentary satisfaction. And I am air quoting satisfaction when I do that. Um, But momentary satisfaction. And I say that that's enough. And so that's why things it's like, all right, if it comes to porn, all right, putting blocks on your phone, getting rid of a phone, you know, taking do being willing to do whatever it takes to break an addiction. Those are good things. But at the end of the day, if I have only just done behavior modification and I have not addressed my heart before the Lord, then those little things, those things that are inherently good and helpful won't last because it is all about the Holy Spirit revealing the things that are in our heart and then allowing the Holy Spirit, like you were alluding to or saying that that is where the real change happens. That's where ultimate change happens is from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Right. And that's one of those that when you look at it, that, you know, there are today when you're talking about like porn addiction and sexual addiction, those, those ways of treating behavioral addiction problems um, can be done on a completely secular basis. Yeah. Behavior, you know, cognitive behavioral change. And, you know, you can Mm -hmm. go through, steps and processes and all sorts of things to get that behavior modification. But as a Christian, our relationship with Jesus has a deeper impact on that, that we're not looking for just behavior modification, that if that's all you're doing, you know, I mean, you can, I have two dogs and I can modify their behavior if I want to, but there is something Mm -hmm. inherently different 
to being created in the image of God that you are looking to shift and to alter when we're talking about finding that way to replace worshiping ourselves with worshiping mm. Jesus. Um, how, yeah. how does your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with others mm. in community, being a part of his body, how does that really step in and make that difference for you so that it is just a, a thing more than simply behavior modification? Yeah. So for me in late college, because I was involved in a campus ministry, I was discipled, meaning um, I had a um, I had an older man that was mentoring me and teaching me a lot about scripture, a lot about what it looks like to live uh, according to God's word. And so we spent a lot of time together. And at one point during this, uh, during my time being discipled, um, he had become aware of my porn addiction. And so he wanted to confront me about it in a loving way, but in yet a confrontational way as well. Not not to be mean, but to like, we're not avoiding the subject. We're going to actually talk about it. Right. And so part of that, the, the crux of that conversation was essentially him saying, you don't really want to give up what you're doing. You don't really want to stop uh, looking at porn and stop doing all these things. You want to want to do it you know right. it's if you really wanted to do something you would be willing to do whatever it took and you would make it happen but that's not where i was at and he was right and you know is this whole dramatic confrontation thing there was tears there was fists on the table people were this was happening on campus so people were coming into the room and being like is everything okay? Um, but it was a, it was a, it was a confrontation. It left me, it left me very broken. I felt very vulnerable. You know, I felt exposed and everything like that. And this was before he had did not even know that I was attracted to men or anything like that. He just knew that he knew and assumed, you know, that my porn addiction was to, you know, straight porn or whatever. And as this was, as this whole thing was wrapping up, Another guy that was on staff that was my one of my good friends at the time, best friends at the time, uh, stopped at the door as they were leaving, and I'm I'm just crying, and he's like, Joel, I don't want you to think this is trivial or anything, but I love you. And then he left, or you know, then they walked out, and I sat there and I was like, that is the first time that I feel like I've actually heard God speaking through someone else. Wow, where God used my community to say something that my heart needed to hear that I'd been living defeated for so many years. And like, what's the point? You know, what's the point of even trying? What's the point of doing whatever it takes? Because I know I'm just gonna end up giving in anyway. And yet for the first time I felt like God through my friend told me that he loved me, even knowing how broken I felt, even knowing how gross I felt that he loved me anyway. And it was actually because of that, because of that confrontation with two men that loved me, that was actually the first time that I came out to anyone was I told both of them like, Hey, y'all have been making assumptions, but in reality, you know, yes, I've been looking at porn, but there's a little asterisk next to that, you know, a little bit of something extra. And I was ter you know, it was terrifying. Of course, I didn't want to lose their friendships or anything like that. And instead, I was met with 
just an outpouring of love and acceptance. And really, they were broken for me because I had been hiding for so long, because I had been bearing this burden by myself for, or so for so long and not really been known or not being seen by people. And so community was so fundamental because these were men that loved God first in their love for God. They were willing to, you know, hold the, the truth of God's word up against my actions in a loving way, even though it didn't feel good at the time. Right. Um, but they were willing to confront me in, in a loving way. And then as I was true, you know, God used what they said to really break my heart open. And then as I brought that back to them, you know, God absolutely allowed me to experience real repentance and real sorrow over over the state of my heart, and then to experience um, a restoration through them as well. And the following years with them were just amazing times of growth and encouragement, and really feeling like for the first time starting to know what it what it meant to be able to be truly myself, not to have to hide or to have a false identity or two identities or anything like that. So yeah, having having community for me was huge. It was absolutely huge. Yeah, that that is such a key that I know that like dealing with guilt and the shame that comes along, especially with dealing with sexual temptation and sexual sins um, is still so such a, a tied in part of church culture. And it's something that we have addressed mm -hmm. multiple times here on the life on side B podcast is for those of us that grew up in that um, purity culture kind of situation yes. groups and, and church that we are, as much working through those issues as it is anything that has to do with our sexuality that um, like we were saying uh, before we started recording that we could just call this season's life instead of life on side B because so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're dealing with have a universal application to people in the church that they are specifically side B and how we discuss our sexual orientation and our attractions because they are different from the majority yeah. culture in church but there is so much that our experience can speak into the experience of the church in general and i really do believe as resistant as many people are that the discussion specifically about sexual sin is something that we can speak specifically into because we have had to deal with it so in our faith right. as opposed to everyone else do you want to know how to overcome sexual sin well you might want to look at some people that have made a steadfast commitment to overcoming their sin with the whole world yeah watching. um because that yeah that's where a lot of us are coming from um so yeah that yeah absolutely especially looking at when you're confronted in your sin that it's not that you and Jesus in a moment of alone time, <laughs> he's just broken your spirit and confronted <laughs> you with it. But that being confronted by fellow believers um, can be an incredibly painful place to start that journey. Um, but how do you think that that actually was 
I want to say a good thing, but looking back for you, do you think that you would have been able to really work through those issues as much? Or do you really see that even in that being confronted by someone that that was a grace from God to help you be able to to deal with the issues that you had in front of you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I genuinely do think that God uh, ordained or, you know, whatever word you want to use, like, that was absolutely a blessing. That was a grace um, to go through something that was painful. And I, and I think the older that I get, I, I kind of see that happening more and more often. Um, as much as I want everything just to make me feel good and happy and, and warm and fuzzy and everything, it's actually more times than not that it's through the trials, it's through the strains, it's through the failures it's through things that are really hard and just crappy and sucky and everything that God actually does the most work in my life. Yes. Um, and, and I think that that's pretty, pretty parallel to what we see throughout scripture as well, that, you know, it's, it's not that God is out to get anyone or wants to hurt us. And yet, you know, I, I have three kids and it's like, I could make decisions that would make my kids be universally happy all the time. Right. I could let them stay up past their bedtime. I could let them do 12 hours of screen time a day. I could let them, you know, eat candy for every meal. I could do all sorts of things that would make them happy. And yet, because I love them and because I want what's better, what I want, I want what's best for them. I make decisions that are loving and yet make them unhappy, but are ultimately for their good. Um, And so there is that parallel, you know, God is our loving father. And so therefore, even things like confrontation can be a good thing. Now, in my specific situation, you know, my my conversations were with two people that had the best intention. You know, they had good things for me. They loved me. They knew me. Um, they weren't, you know, out trying to get me. And so in that situation, that was a good thing. I know that that's not the case, you know, with people that, um, we get into confrontations with all the time, right? We get into confrontations with people, you know, that don't like us and don't love us and don't have the best out for us and yet call themselves believers. I mean, good Lord, go on Twitter at any moment in time (laughs) (laughs) and you'll see that. And yet, and yet I still fully believe that even in those situations where it seems like this is just terrible, that God can still, not can, God does use those situations as opportunities for us to grow in our faith, to show love to people that have given us no reason to love them back. And it's like, well, isn't that exactly what Jesus does for us every day? Isn't that exactly what we experience from him that we have given him every reason not to say, okay, I still love you. Okay, I still forgive you. And yet he does. What a great opportunity for us then um, to be able to show that same love, genuine love to people that don't love us at all. Yes, that is, that is a beautiful thought. And that is something that keeps me from losing my mind and joking about <laughs> my testimony and salvation on social media sometimes is that reminder. Yes. I remember what it's like to hold so firmly to 
my beliefs because I was terrified that if one thing could be reconsidered, mm. the whole thing might fall. And yes. how do you show compassion to someone who is arguing more out of fear than out of mm -hmm. outright hatred? Um, and that is, right. that is an interesting place to be for sure. Um, kind of shifting a little bit on that idea, this is um, a topic that if you're going to talk about confrontation on social media, this tends to be one of the hot spots um, looking specifically at um, side B conversations. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times we talk about the specific differences, and this has been a conversation going on um, in side B circles for a couple of years now of really wanting to parse out the differences between temptation, attraction, lust, orientation. Like, what do these words mean when we're talking <laughs> about sex in evangelical church? That all tends to be lumped together as one broad thing. So that when people yeah. come to confront us, it's attraction is lust. If you are looking at someone, you're in sin. And that it has come to the point of if you are sexually tempted, if you are attracted to the same sex, that attraction or temptation itself is sin. And that is something mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time having to push back against. So how do you help people really parse that out um, in defining the difference between sexual temptation and orientation versus our struggles with lust or masturbation or porn that you see more of an acting out yeah. of sin. Um, understanding that for myself helped me a lot of letting myself off the hook of realizing I didn't have to hold myself accountable for something that I'm not sure that God holds me accountable for. So how do, yeah. how do you separate those things out and define the difference between temptation and an actual act of sin? Right. Yeah, well, the thing that I love uh, when I have these kind of conversations with um, with others is using scripture to talk about scripture. Yes. Because um, it's like, it's so easy and so popular to take a verse, use it as a wep weaponize the Bible. Right. You know, use something out of context just to try and like prove your own stance or your opinion, blast someone, right? But I think, you know, this is this is a perfect example. You know, is there is there a difference between like attraction and lust? Yes, of course, there's a difference right. between attraction and lust. And you can even you could prove that using scripture. Um, so, you know, like the the cherry, the cherry picked verse, of course, is Matthew 5, 28, where Jesus is talking about anyone that looks at a woman with lustfully has already committed adultery. Right. Right. And so then, then all the arguments, you know, all the Twitter, all the Twitter beef, it basically goes back to, well, what does the word lust mean exactly? Right. right. Um, but ignore, ignore the lust part, take it, take it from an opposite, take it from an opposite direction. If we know, for instance, Jesus said, all right, well, if you hate someone, then you've basically murdered them. If you lust after someone, you've had, you've committed adultery, flip those on their head. Well, does that mean that if I find someone unattractive, am I hating them and therefore I've just murdered them, you know, with my heart? And it's like, well, obviously that, that, that's not the spirit. That's not what Jesus is commit communicating here. So it's, 
Yeah, attraction and temptation are not the same thing. I mean, the Bible itself talks about how attractive David was. Right. I'm pretty sure there, uh, you know, and so it's like, unless the author of scripture is committing sin and talking about the attractiveness of another man, you know, whatever. So there's, I, on the one hand, I try to avoid things that seem like people are just trying to find a reason to cause beef. But at the same time, I do believe that we can absolutely say with confidence that we know that in the, we know that Jesus was tempted, right? He was tempted by Satan. We see in Hebrews that it says that he was tempted in every way and yet never sinned. So we have clear biblical precedent that temptation in and of itself is not sin. It can lead to sin. It can lead to doing things that are acting outside of the will of God. And yet Jesus, who is perfect, who never sinned, was tempted and yet did not sin. So temptation is not the same as sin. And then going further, attraction is not the same even as temptations, which right. technically just, just separating the difference between temptation and sin should be the end of it right there. Right. You know, it should just be, well, if I can be tempted but not act on that, if I can, you know, keep my heart and mind in check, which that again, it, it's ultimately a heart issue, it should end right there. But you can even roll it back more and say, yeah, well, obviously attraction, just the fact that I am attracted to men does not mean that I am lusting after men. Now, I do think that that is something that has to be evaluated in every person's heart individually. Right. You know, why am I looking at that person? Like it again, it goes back to that heart issue. Am I looking just because I'm noticing like, oh man, that is a really good looking guy? Or am I noticing and then lingering? And for me, the I, you know, having taken a lot of time to evaluate what is it that leads me down the road of porn? What is it that leads me down the road of getting myself into situations where I've been unfaithful? Things like that. For me, a lot of times my attraction turns to temptation, turns to sin, not because I'm just because of looking at body parts or something, but a lot of times it has to do with, you know what, I'm really insecure with the way that I look right now. I'm really feeling bad about myself. I'm really, you know, whatever. And so I see this guy over there. I wish that I looked like him. I wish that I had what he had. And so what I'm actually dealing with is jealousy. Right. My my the sin that is given birth is not lust. It's actually starting with envy and jealousy and then through that it turns into something that is sexualized which eventually ends in lust or something like that, you know? So, no, in the same way that a in the same way that someone that is straight is able to uh, notice a person of the opposite gender or the opposite sex and notice them and not lust after them, the same thing happens with people that are attracted to the same sex. That you can notice someone, you can be attracted to someone, appreciate them. But at the same time, if you're straight or if you're not, you still have to have that heart evaluation of, all right, am I letting this go too far? Am I letting this become something where I'm really kind of fantasizing about them? Am I being, am I letting this go beyond attraction into something that could become lust, you know? Um, otherwise, I mean, shoot, in the same way that I'm starting to ramble here, but 
yeah i'm gonna actually gonna stop there <laughs> that was all good that was a good rambling role you had going there um that is like what you were talking about that it's the same regardless of the gender or the biological sex of the person that you are attracted to um that i had this great great example that um I was in a van full of people in college. We were going to um, a one day conference and we're waiting to get checked in. So it was, you know, like mile long of vehicles full of people. And this guy had decided to get his run in for the day and just went mm -hmm. running past this whole line of vehicles. And, okay. and yeah, I mean, he's just out running and, several of us in the van we were chatting and we we're talking and we all stopped talking and just watched as he ran by and the mm -hmm. guys in the car immediately like jumped all over us about how inappropriate it was for us to be lusting after this guy that ran past the van and the ironic thing about it was that the two of us that stopped and watched him were myself and my girlfriend at the time so we weren't mm. lusting after him at all it was yeah. just he, he was a nice looking human being that had a really good gait in his run and it just caught our attention and we watched him as he ran by it was nothing sexual right. at all we have looked at some interesting stuff so far and some of these have been questions that the hosts um, have had ourselves as we've discussed these, some that we've seen in larger circles. Um, we've also gotten several questions um, in the last two seasons from listeners. Um, these are some specific ones that we've gotten that um, we would love to talk with you about. Um, this first one, uh, I love how it is phrased. Um, this celibacy thing sounds nice, but how do I actually live it out sexually so this is getting down to the nitty-gritty practicality of you know <laughs> yeah god says be holy as i am holy and so if you're not in a, an opposite sex marriage no sex for you but really what does that look like what do you tell people yeah about that question oh man that 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 totally is like it's a well this sounds great but you know come on Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think the overall answer is one moment at a time. Right. It is literally a moment by moment thing um, because it is such a sacrifice. Here, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a second. Excellent. My, I hate the idol that marriage has become in the church you know there's always sermons on marriage there's always things for married people and singleness is kind of looked at almost as like a disease or deformity or something like okay single people we put you over there you know and go go play or something like that the adults are over here talking um and i'm married and i hate it um, and I think it's one of those things where it's become, and, and, and I have no other word for it other than idle, where you're more valued, you're more worthy in the church, it seems like these days, if you're married and have kids, it, you have to have the sweet spot of being both married and kids. But here's the thing, like the whole, the celibacy is not even a side B specific thing, you know, 
the call is to sexual purity, even within marriage. You know, sexual purity is the goal. If we're not married, then it is sexual purity. If we are married, it is sexual purity in the context of being married, you know, with it, with our spouse. Um, so how do you live it out? It's literally, literally moment by moment. Practically, that means that there have to be certain steps that we take in terms of looking at uh, environment. I think environment is probably one of the biggest things that can have such a huge effect on our ability to be faithful, to be pure, to be um, to be above board, as it were. And environment can come in multiple different facets. It can be the things that we're watching. It can be the things that we're listening to. It can be the people that we hang out with. It can be what we're looking at online. And I think that as entertainment-centric as we are right now, it's very easy to let little compromises happen that ultimately lead us to making larger failures down the road. Yeah. You know, I, I've, we've, we've all experienced failure in various degrees and stuff like that. I have the unfortunate badge of uh, being unfaithful to my wife. I did not make the decision to go from being faithful to unfaithful in one day. And it didn't even start immediately with acting out sexually. There was lots of little things um, that happened before then. And so it could be something like if I, I, I mentioned earlier that my, my I don't want to say trigger, but the thing that a lot of times I, I know will get my mind going in the wrong direction is if I'm feeling insecure. If I'm feeling inadequate or not good enough, if I don't feel attractive, things like that, then I start becoming jealous and looking to other men in terms of like, oh, I wish that I had that. I wish that I was that. I wish that I was with that person. And so even taking for granted that when we're consuming content, whether it be music or TV or whatever, that those can be even little compromises, we need to be willing to evaluate, am I giving or am I putting myself in situations mentally or environmentally that are unhealthy, that are making it harder for me to stay pure? It would be really hard for me to say like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and use Grindr and, you know, just play around on there and you probably won't have any problems being tempted to act out like that's that's ridiculous and of course grinder is an extreme you know is an extreme example but all right take one step back all right we're only on tinder all right we're only on you know whatever and so it's not inherently saying like all social media all entertainment or anything like that is bad that's not what i'm saying instead it's just saying being aware of where our heart is and there are some seasons where we need to be able to let the holy spirit evaluate us and and bring us that conviction of you know what it's probably not a good time for me to be hanging out with this group of friends because they always push me to be like why aren't you with someone why aren't you just sleeping around why aren't you whatever or it's not a good thing. Maybe I shouldn't watch, what's that new Netflix show? Too hot to handle. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't watch random things like that, which is literally just eye candy the entire time, you know? So I think that's, that is a step, but it's ultimately goes back to that knowing your heart, 
It's spending time in the word. It's spending time in prayer, specifically asking God to reveal your heart so that you can be made aware of those areas that you are more likely, that you're more prone to give into so that you've got the ability to see those before you're already knee deep in them. Right. And a lot of times those things aren't necessarily inherently sinful in and of themselves. Like right. I know when exactly. I was trying to get out of seasons of just repeatedly making wrong choices in relationships, that there was a lot of just cultural entertainment things um, that I needed to step away from, even to the point of like certain bands or certain albums or certain TV shows that I just could not watch mm -hmm. anymore because it was immediately going to just set me down a path that was not healthy. And there wasn't absolutely apparently wrong with those things. But at that time, I could not do it. Now, 10, 15 years later, those have changed to where some of them are things that I can welcome back into my life. And I've missed them in their healthy, good things again. And some you have to just let go of. And yeah, those are the types of gray areas that we can sometimes really cling to legalism. You know, if you can just give me yes. 10 things that I need to do in order to nail this and be done with it. And it's just not that simple. It's not that clean cut. Right. Um, and that's where grace for yourself and understanding that just the abundance of God's grace comes in handy, literally as a lifesaver of being able to say, you know, in this season of my life, this is just not something that I can do. Um, and yeah. I see that often with people who go from one extreme to the other that often, you know, as an extreme example, sometimes the most, um, just full force side X conversion therapy people are those who were the most full on gay pride that it's, I have to cut off everything to know that I am surrendering myself to be sure. And the problem comes when you want to try to enforce that on everyone and exactly we can do that to ourselves. Like I know for a long time that that's the way I was. Well, here are all these stereotypical things that I like. And if I'm not going to be a lesbian, I can't do any of these things. And right. learning how to find that grace and that forgiveness for yourself to say that is not necessarily how this goes. Um, it gets you in a place of understanding that it's not necessarily all or nothing. You know, yeah. a, a joking kind of thing that I've told several girls that I've mentored over the years is that I can listen to the Indigo Girls and not have a girlfriend. <laughs> that, that is a possibility, you know, and being able to yeah. learn about yourself and know what that has to do with things. Um, but a lot of times, especially in those early days of trying to really re-pattern your life, um, there are times that people slip and fall. I mean, we are going to have yeah. an opportunity to see an ex and we're in a weak spot and it's, you know, mm -hmm. next morning and think, what in the world have I done? Or you fall back into looking at a pattern of porn and you find yourself that, well, I've, you know, hadn't done that in six years. And here I am a month into just being completely. Yeah. How do we handle that in a way that doesn't pile on guilt and shame? Cause we know that that is not from Jesus. How, how do we do yeah. that as believers in a way that can bring those things to the light that we can find freedom and accountability and forgiveness in productive and healthy ways? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that one of the best things that you can do at the same time and and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda like um I'm gonna give a disclaimer here that I am I am saying these things with the assumption that there are certain things that you would already do, but maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should say on top of or underneath foundationally to all of these, we've mentioned this before, has to be continually seeking the Lord in prayer and in the word. But on top of that, a, a great practical thing is actually the A word. And you already said it and it makes some people very uncomfortable and that is accountability. Yeah. And I get why it's scary and why it's a yucky word for a lot of people because most people have experienced it in terrible ways. Right. And that's what is so tragic is that something that can be so good and so beautiful and powerful and, and, and just good in our lives has been so riddled with problems that many people kind of go to one extreme or the other where they just completely throw it out as an option entirely. But good accountability would be with someone that is walking with the Lord someone that loves Christ both with their words and with their actions, someone that loves you, even if they don't know you like the best, you know, it doesn't have to be with someone that, you know, has known you since a child or anything like that, but someone that is, that you can tell cares about you as a person um, more than just, you know, giving lip service or just cares about their own agenda or anything like that. Um, but someone that is willing to both challenge and encourage. Um, like I, like I mentioned with my story about, you know, being confronted, um, in late college, that was an accountability moment. That was someone that loved me, that loved the Lord, uh, took the time because they knew me well enough to confront me about an issue that I was actively choosing to, live outside of God's best for me in. And because I know that he loved me, loves me, um, it wasn't something that I received as an inherent, you don't know me, you don't know my life, you don't know my situation, you know, who are you or anything like that. There was a mutual respect that was there. Um, and so I was able to receive what he said, even though it really hurt in the moment. Um, that was good accountability. And what made it even better is that after the fact, it wasn't just a confrontation that ended and then we didn't talk about it again or something like that. It was followed up with a lot of life giving, a lot of encouragement in scripture. To this day, that staff member, um, that my, my former discipler, when we see each other, it is still something where he's probably one of the only people that I know that feels so comfortable and at ease that he can just talk to me about being gay as though it was the most natural thing in the world. There's no hesitation or anything like that. I am able to be so myself around him, and it's because he loves me in that way, that he loves me enough in the Lord that I am really his brother. So accountability, you have to have that kind of accountability, but sometimes that does mean it might mean looking outside of your normal circles. And, and I think that's an unfortunate part is that sometimes 
your circles might need to expand or shrink, I guess, depending on the direction that they need to go. But I do think that, you know, accountability should never look like it's a form of punishment. You know, accountability is not just, all right, let's get together and talk about all the ways that we messed up and feel bad and guilty about that. Because that's not what Jesus does with us. So accountability should look like something where, um, you know, a great example would be the the woman at the well. What is that? John 8, mm-hmm. I think. Um, she was caught, right? She was caught. She was, of course, brought before Jesus. And Jesus' ultimate response to her after he had made everyone else leave by calling out their hypocrisy, but her response to her was go, you know, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. So there was that extension of love and grace, as well as the call to live in accordance to that grace that had been received. I think that's a beautiful balance. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Obviously we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes, but it's that it's the striving. Our goal is to strive towards um, being free of things that enslave us like porn like masturbation you know like things like that and through the power of the holy spirit through community through accountability we're able to take those steps day by day moment by moment right and that's a beautiful thing to be able to recognize our need for accountability um with people that as much as we want to keep our sin to ourselves. And that is, again, speaking of social media confrontations, something that I have heard frequently in the last year or two is um, those in the church who have a real problem with us discussing these difficult topics of sexuality and attraction and masturbation and porn and adultery um, and same-sex attraction, being gay and being a Christian. yeah. The response that I get is it's just not proper to talk about such things in public. Like some things are between you and God. And I've heard that repeatedly. And I always want to immediately just like do a cut and paste from the Bible where it talks about darkness loves darkness and the light is mm-hmm. drives away the darkness. That if you are keeping your sin in the dark, it is going to continue to have a mastery over you. Does that mean, though, that you just need to go blast it all over the world and like share with your community group of 75 people that you are (laughs) looking at porn for five hours a night for the last two weeks? Like, that's not what we're talking about either. Um, Yeah. That understanding of, you know, you may need one person, you may need two people, but that you do sort of like, I like to use um, Jesus. It's a crazy thought to use Jesus as an example of doing something right. (laughs) But the way he talks about his friends and the gospels that, you know, he has these 12 guys that are with him everywhere. And then he has Peter and John that are there all the time. So they're like these three amigos kind of thing going on. And then he has John who is described as the beloved disciple that you see how his relationships and how he reveals himself to them is different. I mean, the transfiguration didn't occur at the feeding of the 5,000, right? It occurred with a small group of people that he could reveal himself to. And learning how to do relationship well 
um, was such a huge part of that for me. One of the questions we get a lot is, what does sexual temptation look like from a female perspective versus a male perspective? And for kind of an oversimplification, often for men, it is a lust of the eyes having sex. They talk a lot about, I'm lonely. I hooked up with somebody I don't know. I did download Grinder and I met somebody. Um, that it's it can be physical based purely. Um, that is a gross oversimplification. And that is something that, that needs to be addressed as well, that it's not necessarily a male or female issue. That a lot of times it's what is the mm -hmm. root issue that, you know, yeah. you talked about earlier, you're acting out occasionally comes from jealousy, not from anything that's sexualized. Um, and often sexual acting out, there is a root issue that is a deeper struggle. And right. often from a female perspective, that is more relational than it is anything else. It comes from a loneliness, from a desire to know and to be known, a desire to be pursued and to be loved. And that's not a universal female thing, but that tends to be a generalization that it's more relational as opposed to physical. And that is when often that comes into play is looking and understanding our needs relationally and how you can find a way to have those needs met in healthy ways by a circle of people so that we aren't attempting to have every need met by one person. Henry and I talked yeah. about that in an episode a couple of weeks ago about loneliness, that if you're looking for one person to fulfill all of these needs, they're automatically going to be an idol in your life because only Jesus can mm -hmm. for us. So how does that work in accountability, in marriage, in just relationships in general? Um, in my own experience, I've learned that the mere temptation of acting out in any way sexually is curbed greatly by having my relationship with Jesus in the right order and having my relationships with other people in the right order. That when there is a day that I wake up and just feel gayer than I normally do, which is a hard thing for great <laughs> people to understand, but there are some days you just wake up and it's like, I am so gay today. And I know what <laughs> mindset means, um, but to have a friend or two that I can literally just text them that and be like, today is such a gay day. And they immediately know how to respond and say, I'm praying for you. They'll give me a word of scripture. There's something that I can set my mind on to say, that is not yeah. R, that is not whatever. And it keeps it from even going down that road. Right. All of those things really just take time to learn how to set those up. So um, I think probably. A last question, kind of a, a wrap up of all of that is when we're talking with someone that is right in the thick of it, you know, somebody's tuned in today and they are in the middle of being just completely addicted to porn or masturbation or someone that is listening and is married and maybe having an affair or tempted to be committing adultery. Um, and they think there is no way I can get out of this. What would be a number one? What is the very first thing that they could do right now to begin changing that towards a heart of repentance to change directions for, for where they are now? Yeah, totally. Um, I think it, 
I think the first thing that has to happen is that confession element, bringing it before the Lord, recognizing that you're choosing to act in a way that is not in God's best for you and recognizing calling it what it is right you know i can you know not trying to justify not trying to hide anything like that but in you know if it's a porn issue if it's a habitual masturbation issue you know whatever it is you know call it what it is and and take it before the lord and when i say take it before the lord i mean in prayer and even use scripture literally use scripture um there's this great verse and it's going to kill me if i can't remember it there's this great verse in psalms where david is talking about, it's psalm 32 um where he says that there is a time where he wouldn't admit what a sinner i was but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration all day and all night your hand was heavy on me my strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until i finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them then i said to myself i will confess them to the lord and you forgave me all my guilt is gone um i love that verse because that reminds me so many times when i want to wallow and when i want to hide and i'll be like why is everything miserable why is whatever and i'm like have i actually remembered to take this to god have i remembered to tell god like you know what i done messed up and i am not doing well right now but starting with god after starting with god I think the very next thing to do is then to forgive yourself, um, re- recognize what Christ has done, that Christ has taken my sins, assuming that you have a relationship with the Lord. Um, Christ has taken my sins. Christ has taken that guilt. And so once I've confessed it, once I've given that over to the Lord, having faith, choosing to believe that my guilt and my shame and my sin have been taken away. And then following up on that, third thing, following up on that and taking appropriate steps to make it right. So if that's, you know, if it's single or married, if it's a porn thing, taking a step doesn't mean going from, you know, a hundred to zero in a mat, you know, in one day necessarily. But even if it means a progressive thing, if it means starting out by telling someone, if no one else knows what you're walking through, tell, start by telling someone that you know loves you and that you trust and say, hey, you know, I need, I need your help. I need encouragement. I need a challenge here. Will you follow up with me? Or can I come to you, you know, when I'm, when I'm feeling like I'm going to give in? Mm-hmm. And if it, if it takes being extreme, then in the power of the Holy Spirit, being willing to do whatever it takes. And I tell you what, side beers or anyone anyone that is single and pursuing celibacy that takes so much strength that comes from the lord that doing other things like you know giving up a cell phone or putting accountability software on you know doing things that are uncomfortable or hard you all 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 people that are pursuing celibacy or anything like that you have more than enough strength if you're able to even pursue even mentally pursue celibacy and take those steps that takes so much strength to do that in our day and age and culture. So doing that and walking with someone, 
that would be my that would be my my first thing. You know, I I've walked through porn addiction, you know, to a great degree. I've walked through marital unfaithfulness as well. Um, it's been just about a year now uh, since my wife and I walked through that, and that was not a good time. Obviously, I, I don't want to make light of that or anything like that. But it was a very similar process where it was little compromises that ended up making where I chose to do what I knew was wrong. But at the time I was, I, that's what I chose to do. And through that, it ended up really hurting my relationship with my wife. It hurt a lot of things. And yet, and yet in that time, um, God allowed me to be repentant, to see, to come to a place of remorsefulness, of brokenness. And God actually used the unfaithfulness to bring my wife and I to a place where we are stronger now than we ever have been mm. um, after 13 years of marriage. But a lot of it comes by dropping that pride, the pride of, well, I'm not willing to fess up. I'm not willing to be accountable. I don't need help. I don't need anyone else. This is just between me and God. Like those are lies from the devil right there. Um, that is not how God created us to operate. And so if I especially heart goes out to anyone that is walking with unfaithfulness, be it emotional unfaithfulness or physical unfaithfulness or anything like that, you can always choose to not take that next step into it. You can always choose to stop, you know, to, you can't change what has already happened, but you can choose your next step. And even if that next step is a baby step of, I'm going to, I'm going to delete the app off my phone. I'm going to delete their number out of my phone, you know, things like that. And a lot of times it's fear that stops us from doing that. And so even if it means talking to someone else, starting to take those hurdles, letting someone walk with you to have those conversations with your spouse, it's worth it. Even though it is painful in the moment, the things that God can do, can do and will do um, are, are so much more worth it. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, a beautiful thing to be able to talk with someone who has lived it and experienced it and experienced not only the yeah. the pain and the deceit of our own sinfulness, but to also have experienced firsthand um, grace and forgiveness and transformed relationships to be able to say to community as a community, God's way is best because I really screwed it up <laughs> and here, here's how yeah. experience, yes. um, you know, his love is better than life. How do I know? Well, I've tried a lot of things in life and his love is better. And mm, yeah, what better way to be able to show that and to express that than being able to share it with other people. So thank you so much for Absolutely. your willingness to do that. And, um, those of us here at Life on Side B uh, will be looking forward to hopefully hearing from our listeners with more questions or comments. And um, we'd love to know other things specifically about these topics of sexuality and dealing with our active sin nature. What do we do when we are pursuing purity and holiness and have that fight inside of us that Paul talks about, about doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we do want to do. And who's going to mm. save this wretched body of death, right? 
Jesus. Yeah. He's the one that saves it. And as we live that life out in the body of Christ, how he uses one another to help us work out our salvation and save us from our own sinful and dead tendencies. So Joel, thank you so much for sharing some of your story, some of your hard earned wisdom and advice. And um, we just, we thank you so much for it. Of course. Thank you for having me. I loved it. <laughs>